Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. The Hero of the Armageddon War. They call me the Hero of the Armageddon War. It's a ridiculous title, but I've learned to accept it with a smile and a nod. I guess I certainly look the part. I was there on the first deployment on the Forge World of Erexia. Three squads of special forces against the most defended planet in the galaxy. Coalition and human news showed a singular evidence of the attack. A snap picked on my face next to the destroyed Warrenian dreadnought machinations in the hollows. Historians would later question if we were in the right to strike first. For the record, the Coalition never recovered from their pre-war production statistics, destroying one of the many advantages that they had over us. We needed that, and the intel we unlocked from that day showed us that they were planning an attack on three human months. Great minds, Xenos, or otherwise, think alike. I was there before the gates of Mordia, one of the million stations there during the peak of the war. Organic matter flew into the air in a thick, crawling clouds as they threw arsenal after arsenal at Bidian's strong Lubo flesh wave. It was brutal and evolved into a vicious melee when the autocannons ran dry. But I held the line. Centimeter after bloody centimeter, it was my face scratched and bleeding, my hand covered in a black copper-smelling gore that held up the severed neural projector of the battle overlord after the fated battle. Five years later, I led the charge that pierced into Nuvo's home system, crushed their wriggling larvae underfoot as I ripped the heart from their queen. Last I heard, those insectoids were all but extinct, save for the last non-sentient vestiges on their primordial homeworld. By any definition, pre- or post-war, it was genocide. By mine, a victory. We broke the Coalition's back with our campaign. Those insectoids were the shock troopers, and with them gone, none were left to oppose ours. I would be damned before I admit it, but I missed those bug-eyed freaks. It just wasn't as fun afterwards, with the wrens surrendering left and right, sometimes before we even made Planetfall. I was there, scarred and battered, but undeniably the same face. When the Coalition Warhol wobbled onto her final legs and dug herself into the fields of Gundestia, the planet was situated near the White Dwarf, bombarded with a flux that impaired the unshielded Electrotech. We attacked by billion strong, crawled through continents of mud and ruined environments. As the Krell rained shells as large as scale steers, hour after hour, day after day, week after month after year. Five years of shells came down, and five years I rushed out to greet them with the day. Or what passed for the day. The light from the orbiting star never broke through the black smog. I coughed black tar from my lungs and spat it out as I walked through the shattered remains of their final fortress. 
There were posters on my face blasted on the rockcrete walls, straw effigies hanging from every window. By that time, I could never be sure if they hated specifically me or one of the hundred variants and models. And then the war was over. We had won. Humanity had finally secured its place amongst the stars and rebuilt the coalition better than it ever was. I was there for the reconstruction, rebuilding the Wren's nesting grounds, detonating the trillions of void mines in deep space. If I walk into Zeno's part of any town, I still get my drinks paid. Not that I go out very often, but it's the thought that counts. I have cataract in my left eye that somehow miraculously survived the war. My knee creaks whenever I walk. Am I happy? I don't know. I wasn't designed for peacetime. It's been thirty years, but the treaties ratified for the fields of Candestea still hold. Do I want a second Armageddon war? Of course not. Still, I clean my rifle every week and polish my pocketed carbine nanotube weave of my armor. Armchair strategists will tell you it was the very same rifles and armor that helped us with the war. And I guess they looked the part. The ammo was made of inert after the war, but at the time, each round fired contained a fraction of a decimal point of an ounce of antimatter. The explosion wasn't bright, but it could crack the carapace of a Naboo biotitan in a single shot. The armor could stop a Terran 50. Granted, the Terran 50 was outdated years before the outbreak of the war, and I'd bet the dog tags that you would still die from a punctured lung if you were to ever be hit by one. Armor and all. But technically speaking, it could stop a Terran 50. But no, it wasn't the standard antimatter rifle, or the sassy auntie, as the orbital assault rangers like to call her, but the Enviro-sealed TAC armor that won the war. A better estimate, the more experienced would talk strategies. I was trained from the time my feet hit the ground, even when child soldier was still a bad word. I learned to disassemble auntie before I learned to walk. Learned to calats before I was asked to pass the salt. We all did. Still, the base strategies were the same. Even as my reactions are a little faster than baseline. Shoot at the enemy, take cover when they shoot back, move to a more advantageous location, shoot, repeat until there are no more enemies. Or you have a sucking chest wound. It was time tested, perfected by America on terror. And one more guess, I'm sure you know. The ancient Terran war master once said, Quantity is a quality all of its own. Model Thanatos, version 2.0.4, variant B, 1.83 meters tall, and a face that was pleasant to look at, but forgettable. My model, I was designed that way. They didn't want people to hate me on sight, but they wanted me to be an acceptable loss. One that could be reduced to a number... The official government data says that 6 billion units were produced by the end of the war, but that would be misleading. Logistics are a beautiful thing. A unit was 10. That was how many could be split off from a single embryo. Of course, not all of us survived the private stage. Our designer was insane genius with an emphasis on the insane and much less than perfect. An Augmentix put a tungsten round into his head when he landed on the planet where the Bioshaper was hiding. The Galactic Confederation then called the Human Colonial Alliance never figured out why he created us. Some would say that he wanted to play God. 
Others, that he was bent on galactic domination. Still more say that he wanted to be immortal. We were genetically based off of him. Whatever the cause, the HCA got their hands on the Alpha Batch of clones. The Alphas needed some tweaking. Bloodthirsty, they were. But the work was mostly done for the HCA. Namely, mapping the entire human genome. They tested us out on Orexia. At that point, the brass didn't know what they wanted us to be. Cheap augmentex or overgrown cannon fodder. The betas got shafted with useful things such as the ability to produce cellulose, double jointedness, and the ability to bend backwards on the hip. Some things worked, and others didn't. Those that worked were analyzed, given more batches. Those that didn't died. By my turn, I was rocketing night vision, 200% increase in bone ossification, and a reaction speed half that of baseline. Two years in a vat, we came up almost as an adult, or able to fight like one. As fast as the Nivu, but with a key difference, Nivu casts were subspecies, unable to interbreed. Not that we did much of that, but more importantly, unable to share organs. I take one in the chest like I did twice, and my brother medics can harvest a lung from someone else and replace mine. Besides my eye, I don't even know which organs are mine. From there was just simple arithmetic and dogged attrition. I shoot a Navarro in the chest and he bleeds out. He stabs me and I heal from some poor sod that took a head wound. Our bodies could sustain itself after brain death again and again. On Mordia, this fact was proven. The Navu didn't stop coming. We knew that when to retreat, when to regroup. Our orbital advantage helped us metric ton too. You've never seen an explosion until you see 300,000 kilowatt launch fire of enemy-occupied city. In a pinch, the HEA never advocated this, but it was done, especially on Mordia. We could be grown in the Vu birth sacs, or any creature that had internal pregnancy. I wasn't, but some of the best men I've ever known were created from that process. We learned not to ask about the extra bone projections or the unnatural eye colors that resulted so long as they could hold a rifle. The GC is still trying to figure out how old man untangled the differences between the double helix and the triple helix. Go figure. These days, those men are raising families. Their children are humanoid, but we've learned not to ask about the wren feathers or the krell scales. And, thirty years later, I hear that these children can crossbreed not only with other baseline humans, but other species. Sometimes, as I walk into the Medicaid for my annual CI-funded checkup, I catch a glimpse of a Krell father or a hybrid mother. Sometimes they're holding a cloth-wrapped bundle that cries. Something big is happening, discovered in bedrooms across the galaxy. Continuous, unprotected sex always was humanity's second-best trait. Besides rampant murder, logistics. Two years, ten batches, and a manufacturing could support a million batches. Entire worlds were dedicated to clones. Ten, to be exact. Small batches were hammered together on more remote remolds. By the fields of Gundestia, the decade into the war, the HEA could have stripped us down, thrown us into orbit naked, and we would have overrun Kral positions by drowning them in blood. Thankfully... They didn't, and I lived. Some didn't, and they were buried there, on that shattered, pollution-wrecked planet. The clone independence bill was ratified, a pension, and a ticket to whatever planet we wanted. They call us the heroes of the Armageddon War. 
I wasn't there on Arishia, but my progenitor was. He was a sole survivor and lived long enough to have his DNA harvested and replicated, deployed en masse. One of a couple thousand of the agri-worlds that I've settled down on, one of a few billion on the galaxy at large. I've learned to smile a forgettable smile, shake hands, and pat furry children on the head as they watch open mouth as a picture from the history book walks by. I know I looked the part. End of story. Story number two. Human bicycle for sale, new in box. Written by Clonk3D. Okay, Hazabold. What did you buy this time? Oh, don't give me that surprise look. Did you really think I didn't see you dragging that box into the garage? Chastise Haledal while rubbing her four eyes. It's nothing much, just um, a new hobby is all. Gunted Hazabold. He gave the aforementioned box a final shove. Come on, honey. We talked about this. All your hobbies tend to be bad for you. Plus, we're supposed to be discussing big purchases. I doubt that thing was cheap, given the fact that the box is so big. Chided Haldia. No, no, honest, it cost less than 700 chlorins. And that included shipping. 700. 700's still a lot. And that still doesn't mean whatever it is is safe. Remember the turbo blend. And the instant lawn. And the Grax cat. The same Grax cat that you wish should be wouldn't harm for if. That's different. The worst injury I can receive is from falling over. The commercial said that it was so easy that even an infant could do it. Had I checked, they make infant versions. Wait, how's a sweetie? Did you say infant? That isn't a human contraption, is it? N- no, yes. Admits Hazabold, while sweating nervously. That's it. Whatever it is, it's going to be refunding it. Return it and pray that it never haunts our doorstep again. Come on, sweetums, it's a hundred percent safe. I swear, I learned my lesson, bargain, the desperate husband. If it's so safe, why don't you tell me what's in the box? Sure, it's a human bicycle and training wheels. Human love, these things. Just think about the freedom of the open road, your destiny in your own hands, your journey powered by only the sheer potential of your body. Imagine it, Haldia, exploring the world, wind at your back, going towards the great unknown. Look, Hazabald, it's a lovely idea, but you're forgetting one small detail. Oh? We have tentacles, Hazabald, tentacles! You can't even reach the pedals and handles at the same time. How are you going to ride a bike if you can't pedal and steer at the same time? And what happens if you get caught in a chain, for goodness sakes? Shouted Haldua while waving her tentacles in frustration. Oh, said Hazabold. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.